This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So I don't think I've ever watched a complete reality TV show except for one. There's a show with a British chef, Gordon Ramsay, whose show name I can't mention in this sermon, but the premise of the show is simply this. He goes into a struggling restaurant, a restaurant that's failing, that's tanking, and he comes in in a disguise, checks it out, and then calls the entire staff together and promises them, I can turn this around in 24 hours or less. So here's an example from season two. Los Toros Mexican Restaurant in Los Angeles, California was $450,000 in debt as a restaurant. The owner, Nick Jr., is really struggling after inheriting this restaurant from his father, Nick Sr. He really doesn't want to be there, and he's always stressed out. The staff is always stressed out. It's just not going well. So Gordon Ramsay disguises himself. He goes into the restaurant because he says, if people knew I was coming, they would hide what's really going on. So he wants to get what's really going on. So he gets underneath the surface. He calls Nick and the staff together, and he says, look, there's rancid vegetables, bins of rancid vegetables. Your meat is spoiled. This food tastes like reheated slop, he says. And then he goes on to berate them, swear at them. They're all bleeped out, just in case you're watching it with children. The swear words are bleeped out, but you kind of know what he's saying anyway. And then he says, follow me. Literally, he says that, follow me. And they all go out to this big, huge truck where there's this whole team of people, and they have this plan in place to turn the restaurant around in 24 hours and less. Now, there's a lot of ways Gordon Ramsay is not like Jesus, okay? <laughs> in case you're wondering where this is going. But there is one way that Jesus is a lot like Gordon Ramsay, and it's simply this. Jesus comes with good news, and he says, I can turn your life around. I can make all things new, not only in your life, but in pockets of the world where the world is broken and reeling. I want to restore. I want to make all things new. But here's the, here's the premise. We have to come under his authority. And that's the premise of the entire show that Gordon Ramsay, you have to come under his leadership. You have to come under his reign because Gordon Ramsay comes as king and there's no other option. So you have to come under his authority. You have to come under his lordship. And then he gives these struggling restaurant owners a vision and a passion. Their hearts awaken and they start to think, wow, there's hope. Gordon Ramsay can make all things new. And now let's forget Gordon Ramsay. Jesus can make all things new. There's hope. He awakens our hearts, and he gives us a vision and power and authority to make all things new in our lives. That's the message of one of the shortest, probably the shortest, and best sermons ever preached. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Here's the words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nine words in English. It is the first public words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And also in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke has sort of a similar thing going on. The Gospel of John kind of has its own thing going on, but there's something else there. But these basic words are the first public words, the first public address from Jesus, nine words in English, which I'm going to actually condense to four words. And if you get these four words, you are getting, you are understanding, you are moving into the ministry, the mission, the person of Jesus. Four words. Repent is the first word. Kingdom is the second word. The third word is at hand. It's actually one word in the Greek, original Greek. And then the word church. Those are the four words we see in this passage. So let's just explore each one of these words actually found in um, Matthew 4, verse 17. Let's just slow down. Just slow down and just kind of isolate on one word at a time. First word, repent. The first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth, his first public word, is not, hey, guys, hope you have a nice day. It's repent. It's an urgent word. It's a word that's supposed to grab us. Now, maybe you've heard, if you were raised in the church, you probably heard a sermon, you know that the Greek word for repent is metanoia. It means to change your thinking, which it does. But it's much more than that. The Hebrew, the Christian concept of the word repent is something that grabs your whole person. It grabs your heart. It grabs you on an affective level, on an emotional level. And it changes the direction of your life. It, it grabs your whole person. Let me give you an example of what repentance looks like. So let's say, for instance, you arrive at Ogilvy Station in the middle of rush hour in the morning and afternoon. It's packed. You get off the metro. You start walking. You're just sort of going with everybody else. You kind of got your head down. You're in a hurry. You're not sure where you're going, but you're going, and you're following everybody else. And then behind you, you hear somebody call out to you. You think it's someone you love, a friend, your spouse, a child, a parent, somebody that you love. Let's say, for instance, for me, it's my 29, I was just thinking of this week, it's my 29-year-old son, John Michael, and I hear, hey, Dad, behind me. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to turn around. I think I heard the voice of my son. I am going to go towards him. I'm going to move towards him. And my heart is a little, my heart is fluttering a little bit. It's like, I haven't seen John Michael for a while. Is that really John Michael? I want to see him. You see how it's grabbed your whole person and it's flipped you around? That's what repent means. And remember, who's saying repent in this passage? It's Jesus. It's not just a textbook. It's not just anybody. It's not just a dusty old history book. It's the Word of God. He's speaking to us. The Word is still alive. It's living. It's active. Jesus didn't just say this 2,000 years ago. He's saying it now. He's saying it to you now. What are you going to do when you hear him calling? He may be calling you in this worship service. He may be calling you through the Bible. He may be calling through your nighttime dreams. He may be calling you through your longings and your disappointments. He may be calling you through your weariness or in your suffering. He may be calling you in gifts that you've received that you did not expect and you know you didn't deserve. He may be calling you as you look at the world's tears and brokenness. It may be Jesus calling you. And he's saying, I want to get your attention. I want to awaken you. I want to awaken desire in you. 
I want to speak to your heart. I want to turn you around. That's the first word. And if you're open to that, even just a mustard seed, as Jesus said, if you're open to that, even a mustard seed, then you're ready for the next word. If you're not open to that at all, I assume you probably not, might not be here this morning, but if you're not open to that at all, then nothing, the rest of this won't really make a lot of sense. And maybe the first prayer is just, Lord, I'm not open, but help me to be open. He'll, he'll answer that prayer. That's an honest prayer. First word, repent. Second word, kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom was one of Jesus' most important words. If you look in the Gospel of Matthew, he used kingdom over 50 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. And in verse 23, it tells what kind of gospel Jesus preached. What was it? It was a gospel of the kingdom. It was a gospel about the kingdom. That's the only kind of gospel Jesus has. He doesn't have another gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. What does that mean, the kingdom? Well, the Greek word is basileia, and, and hold on to that, because that'll be important in just a minute. But kingdom is just simply, simple definition is where the king reigns. That's where the kingdom is, is where the king is given authority. It's where we come under his authority. Now, you might be thinking, we don't, we don't have kings anymore. That's like 14th century. That's like Queen of England stuff. I mean, that's great, but we're not England, and I'm, I don't really want a queen. I mean, it's great that they got a queen, but I don't want one. So why is this such a big deal? Well, here's the thing. You have a kingdom. Everyone has a kingdom. You have a kingdom. Your kingdom is, as one person has said, it's where your effective will comes into play. Or we might say, where you can make a difference, where you have authority. That's your kingdom. You have a kingdom. It might be a little kingdom or a queendom. You, you have one where your effective will can make a difference. And according to the Bible, everybody, every person in this room lives underneath a kingdom. You are in a kingdom. In the Bible, there is the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of Satan. There's the kingdom of light. Sometimes we're sort of back and forth. Kingdom is anywhere you're under the authority, and you, you're under the authority of something, some kind of power, some kind of something has gripped you, something's got you, some kind of ideology, some kind of way of looking at the world that, that you picked up from media, or you picked up from studying, or you picked up from your family. You're living in a kingdom. So here's the story of the Bible. One way to look at the whole story of the Bible, weaves through the entire Bible, is simply this story. That one day the living God will be king over the whole earth as one of the Old Testament prophets said as the waters cover the sea and you might think well that sounds kind of scary well yeah it just depends on who God is in the Bible God is absolute goodness and holiness and power and authority combined with compassion and mercy and tenderness. That is the story that the Jewish people kept alive in their hearts, that it was moving towards this ending where God, where God would reign over all the earth. And that's what you saw when you read Psalm 72, this great messianic psalm about the Messiah. And who is he? Well, verse 2 in Psalm 72, he will judge your people with righteousness and defend the poor with justice. Isn't that beautiful? 
This is a king who truly cares for the poor, for the weak, for the oppressed. He shall come down like rain upon the mowing grass with authority but with gentleness. Verse 8, his dominion shall be from one sea to the another and from the river unto the world's end. All kings shall fall down before him. Verse 12, again, he shall deliver, deliver the poor when he cries, the needy also, the one that has no helper. We've never seen a king like this that could actually not only long for this, but enact this, make this into a reality. Israel's poets and prophets and priests kept this dream alive, deep in their hearts, like a campfire in a cold world. They kept throwing logs on that fire. we got to keep this going. This is our mission as a people. But here's the question. Who is this person? Where is he? Because we haven't seen him yet. He hasn't shown up yet. So who is he? Well, that leads to the third word, at hand, which again I said is actually one word in the original Greek. It means that it's come near, it's here, and yet it's still coming. So I want us to think, when Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven, that thing that we're longing for, that story that we're in, that's coming to a conclusion. When, when Jesus says, it is at hand, his first hearers would have gone, what? Now? You? You're the one announcing it? Who are you? What right do you have to say that it's here? And as we're going to read in the Gospels, Jesus is not just saying, it's just sort of coming around me, but no, it's coming in me. I am the kingdom. I am the king. As you read the Gospels, that's clearly the message Jesus is giving. The early church had a word. Remember that word, basileia, for kingdom? The early church called Jesus the auto-basileia, the kingdom in self, the kingdom in person, the kingdom in him has come. In what sense, though, is it at hand? Because you look at the world and you go, this world's still pretty messed up. There's still brokenness. There's still violence. There's still bad stuff happening all around the globe, enough to just our hearts should be broken every single day. What does it mean that it's at hand? Well, I like to think of it this way. Imagine you're at an o the ocean. You're standing at the ocean, and you're watching the waves coming in, and they're big today. The wind is just perfect, and the waves are crashing. And here's a wave that's just crashed. But then there's another wave that's just, it's already cresting, and it's, it's starting to crash. And then there's another wave that's cresting, and it's coming. And then there's another wave, and then far off, you know, this is just going to keep coming. This, this waveness is going to keep coming. Well, the kingdom of God is like that. It's come, because Jesus has come. It's coming. It will come. It's all three at the same time. And we're living sort of in this reality that it's come, it's coming, it will come. 
But here it's important to note that Jesus, this isn't just like a theory Jesus is giving. It's not just, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting ideology. That's an interesting philosophical viewpoint. Because Jesus was bringing the kingdom in power, not just in words. Look at verse 23. So he comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and what does he do? He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now that little phrase, every disease and every affliction among the people, is as broad as you want to make it. It's every single way that human beings can be broken, can be messed up, can be confused, can be sinners. Everything is captured in that little phrase. And what is Jesus doing? He's moving into that. He's moving among that in great vulnerability and tenderness and power, and he's healing. And he's giving people a passion and power to renew their lives. The healings are a window a window into the new day that Jesus is bringing, that the kingdom is at hand, that the waves are coming. One of the reasons why I'm at this church, when 12 years ago I thought I didn't, definitely didn't think I was going to be a pastor, was wondering if I'd even be at any church. One of the reasons why I'm here is because we have bishops, we have a canon theologian, we have a priest, we have deacons, we have hundreds of you going about your lives, your places of work, your families, your neighborhoods, and I know this because I know many of you and I know some of your story, and you believe this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you are open to a wave. You want to be immersed. You want to say, Bring it on, Lord. I'm here. Let it crash over me. Let it immerse me. Let it move me. I know that, that at handness, Jesus gives power and passion to make all things new. Here's the catch, though through the church. And you may think, why the church? Why not just Jesus? Why not the fourth word, my fourth word to understand Jesus? Why not just Jesus? I mean, because he is, he is the king. Kingdom's coming through him. It's all about him. He's the one who is Lord. He's the one who died for our sins. Why not just Jesus? Well, because it's always Jesus and his church. And this last phrase that I gave you, this last word really should be Jesus and his church. But then that would be seven words, and that would have ruined my outline. So let's just focus on church. But when you hear church, or when you hear Jesus, it's always Jesus and his church. Look what he does in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Try to picture that in your mind. Here's this, these two blue-collar business, small business owners, and they have this huge net that they are rhythmically and skillfully just getting ready to cast out into the net. It's all silent. It's beautiful. Craftsmen at their trade. And Jesus comes up to them 
in their ordinary life, their ordinary day, their ordinary routine, and he calls them, and he says, follow me, or literally, line up behind me. Line up under my authority as king. And then he does another story. He does the same thing with two more brothers. And then he'll call women, and he'll call more men, and he'll call more disciples. What's he doing? He's building his church. And from now on, it will always be Jesus and his church, like a groom and a bride, together, one flesh, that the Apostle Paul called the mystery at the heart of the gospel. Why does this matter? Why is this so important? Because the gospel of the kingdom never makes sense unless it is embodied in a group of people, in human beings. That's the way God works. Embodied in a community of people who are local, they are public, they're open to the public, they are living under Jesus as king, and they're built from and flowing from and growing out of the first apostles. They didn't just pop into existence in 21st century America. They have these roots all the way back to the early church. They are the ones who are learning to repent, to awaken to Jesus, to live under his kingdom, to experience the at-handness of the gospel. Now, there could be really big ways that we, because we are the church, and so when we gather together, we're living under King Jesus. When we scatter, when you scatter into your homes and into your neighborhoods and into your workplaces, that is where you pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where? On earth. Earth just in general, like the entire planet? No. Earth where your feet are planted, where you walk, where you live, where you work, that's where you're asking for the kingdom to come. Now sometimes, and this is meant that Christians sometimes go into really dark and scary and complicated and controversial issues. We have our good friend, Archbishop Benjamin Kawashi, right now, who's dealing with the murder of Christians in northeast Nigeria. And he is speaking out, and he is calling the government to account, and he is saying, until every person is treated with dignity as someone created in the image of God, we will not have justice in our land. He's speaking out publicly. We have a missionary named Tilly Tiller who works at a refugee camp, some of, one of the most wretched places on the planet right now, in the country of Chad, one of the poorest nations on this planet. She is bringing the kingdom of the living God into that. We have... Ten of our students and Pastor Will and volunteers at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., marching for a culture of life, doing it in their generation and doing it as younger followers of Jesus. I am so proud of them for, for being there. And let's keep them in their, our, pray, our prayers as they come back. But it can also be just in very ordinary ways that you carry the passion and power of Jesus into your world. The gospel of the kingdom, when you bring it in to your places, 
God can work through any occupation that is not sinful or illegal. God can work through any place, anywhere, any relationship where your feet go. You are the one that carries the passion and power of Jesus to make all things new. Let me give you an example, just something very ordinary. So I've talked before. I haven't told a a Barnum, Minnesota story before. So if you're new here, I pastored for nine years in a small town in northern Minnesota called Barnum, town of 460 people. And some of my favorite people there are the Finnefrocks. Willis and Kay Finnefrock, Leanna and Nancy Finnefrock, Roger and Deanna Finnefrock. Tons of Finnefrocks up there. So Willis, a godly man, godly man who was so in love with Jesus that he could not get through a worship service without sleeping at some point and without crying at some point. And let me tell you why he sometimes slept. It's because he worked often all night long fixing furnaces all throughout the countryside of Barnum and beyond. And I asked Willis one day, what was the best part of your job? And he said, I loved going into that house, walking down that basement with my toolkit. And I love the challenge of trying to fix this broken furnace because, you know, it gets cold in northern Minnesota. I think you've got a winter here. Now that's some weather there. Yeah, you betcha. That's cold. <laughs> so you got to get that furnace fixed. And who are you going to trust? Willis. So Willis said, I'd pray. I'd think about this family. I'd pray for them. I would fix the furnace. And then I knew I was going to give them a fair price. I had to make some money, but the price was going to be fair. And the work was going to be good. That furnace was going to be fixed. He said, I'd close up my toolbox. I'd pick it up. I'd go to the stairs. And then one last time, I'd look around, and I'd look at that furnace, and I'd say, thank you, God, that that furnace is new. That furnace is humming. And then he said he would go up the stairs. The thing I love about Willis is that for Willis, it was never just him in the furnace. It was him and the Lord and the church behind his back and the furnace. So wherever you go this week, remember, it's never just you in the furnace. It's never just you in the office. It's never just you and the kids at home. It's never just you and the editing manuscript you're working on. It's never just you and the clients. It's never just you and the patients. It's never just you and the customers. It's never just you and whatever and wherever you go. It is you and Jesus, the one who has the passion and power to make all things new, working in and through you. See, Christians see the world a little differently. Wherever they go, whoever they're with, whatever the situation they're in, they're just, when they're really filled with Jesus, when it's never just them in the furnace, it's always, how can your kingdom come? How can your will be done in this place? So let's pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. 
For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.